to accomplish what you want to do with it. And how do I know that I'm still doing it? Now, we're, we're going to kind of start with one verse, but I want you to take your pen and dial number 4388 and write that down on the back of your sheet if you want. And I know some of my kids are going to freak around at over 14 different things that I can use as a warning shot. But if you would start in Romans 1, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Now this may be a familiar text to some, to others. You may have never even read this verse before. Or you may be like me and read the verse before and just don't even think about it. And you just come back and you're like, wow, that verse, I've never read that before. But you actually have read it before. But let's go ahead and read this. It says, um, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Let's say a word of prayer and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning to ask for your grace for your mercy that you give us all eyes to see here Father ears to hear God I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit to preach your word preach it with boldness and clarity that we all of us including myself would learn today, Father, learn more about you, most importantly, and learn about ourselves in light of that. I just want to thank you this morning for bringing us all here to a safe place of worship. I pray that we all have minds ready to worship hearts ready to worship. And just thank you for saving your people, for blessing us with so much, Father, for keeping us and chastising us when need be. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and I pray that you use me. Um, from this verse, I really today I have about I have two two points that I want to prove, then apply. Uh, two main points. Within those points, there may be four or five small points here and there. But two main points I want to prove and apply. First point is, do I believe the gospel? That's first and foremost. Foremost, Do I believe the gospel? The second one, how do I know that I believe the gospel? Um, you can go ask anybody, do you believe the gospel? Sure, I believe the gospel. You can go to, as we'll be doing on Wednesday nights, uh, dealing with the cults. You can go to any cult and say, do you believe the gospel? Go to a cult member say, do you believe the gospel? Sure, they believe the gospel. They'll tell you that all day long. But we must define what the gospel is. And that's what I'm going to start 
here in a, here in a bit. I want to start here in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 first and then get into that. But in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves. He doesn't say examine others here. He says examine yourself. And I want you to keep in mind that this is 2 Corinthians. If you guys are familiar with 1 Corinthians, Paul dealt with all kinds of issues in 1 Corinthians. Telling, even telling people to get this person out of the church. Examining others. That's what, that's what Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians. The whole letter was all issues that were taking place within the church. That Paul was examining others and saying, hey, this guy needs to be put out of the church. In 2 Corinthians, writing to the same people, saying, examine yourselves. This word examine here means to, to test, to scrutinize, to discipline, to examine, to prove, to tempt, or to try. So we are called in this verse to test ourselves, to try ourselves, to examine ourselves, to prove ourselves, to discipline ourselves. Though there be times that that may apply where we need to do it with others, but Paul right here is, is saying do it to yourselves. And I do believe as Christians, this should be one of our, our main things. Testing ourselves first. That when you, you hear people quote all the time Matthew chapter 7, right? Unbelievers will quote that to you all day long. Judge not lest you be judged. But what Jesus wasn't saying, don't judge. He was saying, remove that plank out of your own eye before you can judge your brother. And that's, what, that's why I say this should be first and foremost. We should be examining ourselves before we step out and say, hey, you're doing this when I'm guilty of the same thing. Paul deals with that in Romans 1, I believe it is, too. Romans 2, um, about the, the teachers of the law saying, don't do this, don't do this, and they're guilty of the same things. But we are called to examine ourselves. Are we truly Christians or are we deceived? So the, then the question would be, God wouldn't deceive me, right? God, God wouldn't let me be deceived. Well, as I already mentioned, all the cults say they're Christians. They're all deceived there. Every single one of them. Every single individual that believes a false gospel is deceived. And guess what? God's allowing them to be deceived. And Scripture actually teaches sometimes God sends them strong delusion. The problem with being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. It's a blind spot that you can't see. That's why we look to the Word, and that's why sometimes it takes others to come in and say, hey, this, there's something fishy about this area here. And God uses His Word and His people to, to bring about that. So the question is, how do I examine myself? Paul commands, that's a commandment there, examine yourself. It's an imperative. Examine yourself. How do I examine myself then? And like I said, the first point is, do I believe the gospel? I want you to think about this for a moment. 
if I was standing here today about to perish, I'm about to die, and I don't know Christ, and you're the only one here, and I say, please tell me this about this Christ that you talk about all the time. I know you go to church. I know you read the Bible. Please tell me this gospel that I hear people talk about. Would you be able to preach the gospel right there? Without a second, without saying, hold up, I need to go run and grab my Bible. I need to, let me call up Pastor Marty. We're called to preach that gospel. We're called, as Christians, we have to know the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Without the gospel, nobody's saved. If you don't believe the gospel, it's simply that you're not saved. It's the message that God's called every single one of us to believe and preach. Now I'm going to define what the gospel is. The gospel is a legal declaration or a legal transaction. What do I mean by that? I mean the, the gospel, it uses forensic terms, justification, imputation, stuff like that. But the gospel in itself involves criminals, laws, crimes, a judge, and an advocate or a synonym for advocate is a lawyer. So the question is, who, who are the criminals and what are the laws that they're breaking? The ultimate reality for mankind is that we are all lawbreakers. Every single one of us has broken God's law more times than probably we can even start to even fathom. We probably can't even count as high as many, as many times as we've broken God's law. And as a matter of fact, and I'm not saying this as I'm up here and you guys, some of us may be sinning right now, breaking God's law in our minds right now in the midst of a worship service. In a, the midst of a time where we're supposed to be coming together and worship God, our minds are drifted off into something else, something sinful. God has given us all a law to keep. And it's not like some, some hard taskmaster is just saying, here's this law, you're going to keep it. He hasn't given us law. The law is the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. That's what the, the, the purpose of the law is to, to point us to Christ. And some call this law the Decalogue, but today I'm just going to say the moral law, the moral law of God that transcend, it, it goes, transcends time, culture, people, nations, places, everywhere. It's always wrong to do this, and it's always right to do this. God's moral law. For instance, God said, Thou shalt not lie. And no matter what time, place, people you're in, it's wrong to lie. God said it's wrong to lie. And we know the scripture in uh, Romans chapter 3 tells us, let God be true, but all men are liars. If the testimony of scripture is true, every single one of us has lied. And I, I know this for, from just going out and doing evangelism and stuff. You start talking to people, and everybody admits to lying. They won't admit to stealing, but then you say, well, you, you're a liar. 
why should I believe you when you tell me you haven't stole anything? <laughs> All men have lied, including myself. And, I, and a lot of times in evangelism, I'll say that. I mean, I'm not above this. The scriptures also said God has declared that man should do no murder. All you have to do is go home and open a newspaper. Turn on the news today. Men murdering people. It's nonstop. It's all, always a new news article about some so-and-so murdered this person. There's another case on CNN or something about some, somebody murdering somebody else. But God's even went so far to say that if you hate your brother, it's considered murder. God has also said that we should not have any gods before him. And I'm not talking about making some totem pole here and bowing down to the totem pole. But anything that we place before God, as we, we spend more time with this than with God, that we focus upon this more than God, that's an idol. That's something that's been placed before God. And there's not one of us in here that can say God has always been first every single second of every single day of our lives. Every single one of us has broken this law. These things that I mentioned, these, these things breaking God's law, they're called sins. That's what the scriptures define them as. It's called sin. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Sin is a transgression of the law. A sin is a breaking of the law. What law? That moral law of God. In Romans 3, verse 23, we know, I mean, probably most of us in here can quote it for... Uh, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I said we could all quote it and not mess it up. <laughs> so we all stand guilty. Every single one of us. The scriptures declare that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures also declare that sin is a violation of God's law. Every single one of us has violated God's law and are standing there guilty. Every single one of us. I don't know about any of you guys. I've been guilty standing in a courtroom. And it's not a good feeling. And that's just of something that the worst that could have happened to me is going to prison. But I've stood there before a judge knowing I'm guilty. It's in his hands. Whatever this judge wants to do, it's in his hands. I can't do anything about it. And this is the, that's the problem with humanity is we've all broken God's law and we will all stand in that courtroom someday. And unless there be propitiation, we would all stand there guilty before, before the eternal judge in an eternal courtroom facing eternal punishment. That's the sentence. We've broken God's law. The sentence is death, right? That's what scriptures teach. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. And we, I mean, we, anybody in the workforce knows that the wage is when we go to work and we work for an hour, our wage is 10 bucks an hour. I know if I'm there for an hour, I'm going to get paid 10 bucks. 
I know, according to the Scriptures, which were revealed by the holy, righteous, perfect God, that if I break His law, the wage is death. I'm going to die. If I break His law one time, I'll die. That's what happened in the garden, right? Broke one law. God gave one law. You shouldn't eat from this tree. Not just you shouldn't. You, you, you won't eat from this tree. And they did. And God told them they'd die. And they did. They died spiritually right then. Later on, they died physically, as all of us will. But the real problem is, without repentance and faith in Christ, you'll die forever in hell. To die physically means nothing, right? To, to those in Christ, to die physically, uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain, right? But each and every one of us has violated God's holy eternal law and have earned eternal judgment, eternal death. None of us are free from that. And God being a just judge must punish sin. And we all stand guilty. Luckily, and I say luckily, I don't even believe in luck. Providentially, when I stood before that judge that day, though I was guilty of a crime that I could have went to prison for, that judge was merciful. He chose to be merciful to me. I still paid for my crime. It was still me that had to pay for my crime. Um, but he was at least merciful. This is not the good news, though, right? There's no good news in death and sin and transgression of the law. That's not good news. That's bad news. That's horrible news. That's the news right there that points us to Christ. I stand guilty, condemned. That's not good. The good news is, or the gospel, if good news and gospel mean the same thing, the good news is that God, in eternity past, chose to save some people for the praise of His, of His eternal glory. He chose some that He would save from eternal wrath and hell. Not only did He just sit back and choose them and then just sit back and hope that something would happen, but God actually came down from heaven. In Christ, God the Son stepped down from heaven was born of a virgin, took on that robe of flesh, lived a perfect life. Not just, when I say just lived a perfect life, I mean this old covenant, he fulfilled it. He did all the righteous acts that were in that old covenant and never sinned, never violated that old covenant. Something not one of us could ever do for one second. Apart from Christ, not, we can never obey at all. That's it, nothing. Romans 8, 7 tells us that. 
that the carnal mind cannot even subject itself to the law of God. But Christ did perfectly. Every single dot, cross of the T, he did it all. He fulfilled it completely. That's the perfect righteous life that Christ lived. And not just that, he laid down that perfect life as a sacrifice for sin. The, the old covenant, when those priests used to come together and slaughter those animals, slaughter lambs, slaughter pigeons, slaughter, they slaughtered animals every single day. The book of Hebrews tells us that could never take away sin. Those sacrifices in the old covenant, those commands in the old covenant, did one, had one purpose, and that was to point us to Christ. When you come together for the Passover and slaughter the lamb, it was that lamb there didn't forgive you. That pointed you to the Messiah that was to come, that was going to fulfill that law and give you that righteous life that he lived is placed into my account by faith. Now, he wasn't just slaughtered as a Passover lamb, and that was it. That's the end of the story. As Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if that's it, we of all men have, have no hope. We're worse off than other men. Because if he's still in the grave, what does it matter? But three days later, he rose again. He rose again victorious over death, victorious over Satan, victorious over hell. And in Romans 1, it tells us that he rose from the grave, declaring to be the Son of God with power. Nobody else can do that. He, Christ took up his own life. He laid down his own life and took up his own life. Nobody can do that. Oh, Lazarus came back from the dead, right? But Lazarus didn't make himself come back from the dead. Christ rose Lazarus from the dead. Christ himself had life in himself. John chapter 1 tells us he is life. He's the, he is life and he's the life giver and he's the life taker away. If he wants to take somebody's life today, he's righteous and just in doing so. But he laid down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. All of them. All of the sins. I read something the other day. It said it's kind of mind-boggling how Christ died for your sins before you ever committed one. All of your sins before you ever committed one. He paid for all my sins 2,000 years ago. Every single one of them. The ones I'll commit today, the ones I'll commit if the Lord gives me 10, 15 more years, all of them, they're all gone. And he rose from the grave. Romans chapter 4 tells us that he rose from the grave for our justification. That's that I'm declared innocent. I stand just before God because Christ rose from the grave. He not only took away all my sins, he gave me his perfect righteousness. See, my account, when I broke God's law, my account had an eternal, it was, I was in, eternally in debt. Christ has eternal righteousness. He took that eternal debt out of the, the way 
nailing it to the cross and gave me that eternal righteousness by faith. When, when scriptures tell us to look to Christ, when we look to Christ, repent of our sins, trust in Christ, that eternal righteousness is mine. It's that, what, what theologians want to call the alien righteousness is placed into my account. It's a righteousness apart from myself, but it is my righteousness. I stand before God righteous and just today because of what Christ did, not because of what I've done. That's still not the end of it. The gospel is so great. I mean, he didn't, just, he didn't just live this perfect life. He didn't just step down out of heaven, live this perfect life, raised from the grave three days later, and that was it. But he ascended up to the right hand of the Father. He was seen of men ascending to the right hand of the Father. Where he sits down and, um, as a picture of being victorious. He sits down at the right hand, the powerful seat there, sits down, it is finished. And he's the mediator between God and men. He sat down at the right hand of the Father as the mediator between God and man. There's no other mediator. Don't let somebody lie to you about that. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. And it, the scriptures teach that he makes intercession for his saints. Um, how idiotic we are. We have, a, we have a righteous advocate. A righteous advocate who makes intercession for us. As we're walking into walls and doing all these things that we ought not to be doing. When we're, we're trying to pray and we can't even form words in our mouth. We have a righteous advocate that makes intercession for us. Though there be a, the accuser of the brethren, right? Satan. Well, what can he do? Make an accusation and the, and the righteous advocate says, Get thee behind me, Satan. He's mine. She's mine. You can do nothing. I paid for all those sins. They're gone. Tossed into the, the bottom of the ocean. That's still not it. But he's coming back. That's our hope, right? It's not, when I say hope, I don't mean, oh, I hope that happens. <laughs> it might not, but I hope it does. It, it's, it's a future expectation of something that we know is going to happen. That's what hope really means. A future expectation of something I know is going to happen. That's our hope. Christ is coming back. He's coming back for his people. And to judge the wicked. That's the gospel. That he lived this perfect life, laid it down as a sacrifice for sin, being crushed by the Father to fulfill the justice that needed to be meted out on you and I. He did that. Rose from the grave three days later, ascends to the right hand of the Father who makes intercession for the saints. And it's coming back someday. So the question is, do you believe that? Do I really believe that? Now, do I, do I, oh yeah, those are, those are correct. Those, all that stuff's correct. Yep, I believe that. No, if you died right now, which is a true, it's a reality. 150,000 people will, will die today. That's almost two every second. Two, almost two every single second. People are just plunging off into eternity. 
And it's a reality for all of us. If I stepped off into eternity today, could I say nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling? I stand just before you, God, not because of anything that I've done, but because of the righteous life of Christ. That's the, that's the belief I'm talking about, not just a, an intellectual. It's this trust. Do you trust him for your eternal salvation, for your eternal justification before God? Do you believe that? Second point. How do I know that I believe the gospel? How do I know that I believe this? I sit here and say, I come Sunday, Wednesday, I say I believe the gospel. I open up the Bible once, every, every once in a while, at least on Sunday and Wednesday, but maybe sometime during the week. Um, how do I know that I believe the gospel? Well, as I said before, there's many people that are just deceived. You could say, hey, do you believe the gospel? And they say, yes, I believe the gospel. As I define the gospel, if you define the gospel like that, and especially when you say, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, as it says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, then they say, well, well you still got to be baptized. I've been in a discussion like that. And it sounded like we agreed upon everything. And I, I was sitting there thinking... I don't really think we agree. Even though he's saying that he, we agree, I don't think we agree. So I said, so if I walk out here right now, I haven't been baptized yet. If I walk out here right now and get hit by a car and die, I want to go to heaven. Well, then you don't believe the gospel. So how do I know that I believe the gospel? There's a doctrine in Scripture called the doctrine of regeneration. It just means to be made new. A new genesis or a re-genesis to be made new again. You know Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is, that's the beginning. It's a new beginning is all that, that is. There's a teaching in Scripture about a new beginning. Um, a new birth, right? That's what we always say, born again. That's, that's really the doctrine of regeneration is about being born again. But it doesn't only teach that God made us alive to believe, just to simply believe. Turn with me back to um, Ezekiel chapter 36. Sandy, you posted this this morning. I, I already had it in my notes. <laughs> Yeah, Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Listen to this and calls you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Not only does God give us new hearts to believe, but he causes us to walk in his statutes or commandments. He causes that. So if you believe the gospel, that means God's causing you to obey him, 
to walk, to walk in faith, to, to follow his commandments. God's causing that to happen in you. If God's not causing that to happen in you, if you have no desire to obey him at all, you have not been given a new heart and you do not believe, believe the gospel. It's not about, well, I'm not doing this, so I need to start doing this. It's, I'm, my whole life is diametrically opposed to Scripture, but I need to start doing some righteous things, right? No, no. It's look to Christ. He'll save you. This fits perfectly, too, with uh, the, the teaching of Apostle, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.13, right? Marty's brought that up a couple weeks in a row, that it's God that works in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. God's the one working in us as believers. He's given us a new heart, and he's working in us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I mean, that's a familiar verse, too. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he before ordained that we should walk in them. So, so it's not, he's just created us in Christ and we just sit down and it's, we're fine. I believed the gospel 20 years ago, right? I'm fine. I repented 20 years ago, I'm fine. No, it's you're still believing and you're still repenting and you're still obeying. This whole walk, this whole Christian walk, it's called perseverance or preservation, if you will. God preserves His people. God perseveres His people, makes them walk in Christ. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Are you guys familiar? The, the Apostle John was called the, by many, he's called the Apostle of Love. So the Apostle of Love does the most loving thing he could do. Preach the truth, right? Let somebody know the truth is the most loving thing you can do. Unless they're ugly, and then you don't tell them they're ugly, you just be nice to them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> That's opinion, anyways. That's not objective truth. First um, John chapter two. These are these are just a few things that the apostle points at and says, "Hey, if this isn't a pattern in your life, you're not a Christian. You don't believe the gospel." First John chapter two and verse three. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now that's pretty plain, isn't it? If you say you know God and don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. That's what John said. That's, don't take that from me. That's exactly what he said. So there is that desire there and keep in mind this when you read through first john that john's talking about the pattern of the life the walk is the pattern of life there's times that we break god's commandments right i mean it's just it's a reality that we're, we're going to break them but the pattern of our life isn't always breaking god's commandments 
It's striving to obey Him. Verse 6. He that saith he abides in Him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. This is one of the hardest verses for me. Walk as Christ walked? That's what John's saying. If you say, notice John keeps on saying that too. If you say you know him. Uh, James did the same thing. If a man say he has faith and has not works, can faith save him? If he says I abide in him, he needs to walk as he walked. Well, I just said that Christ lived a perfectly righteous life, completely fulfilling the law. And I can't do that. If I could do that, then there was no need for Christ to do that, right? I could earn my own righteousness. It's the pattern of our lives. The pattern of our lives is to walk as Christ walked. I heard an illustration I used a while back, and uh, I kind of, I mean, I agree with it, and I think about it often. Like, um, I leave my shoes in the living room. Titus comes up and sticks my shoes on and tries to walk as Daddy walks. And he falls, and he gets back up and puts the shoes back on and tries to walk as Daddy walked. He can't walk as I walk, completely and perfectly, but he's trying. There's that desire there. And this, that's what this is saying here. There's that desire. There's, I'm trying to live like Christ. If there's no desire, that means you don't believe the gospel. And I, I, I will continue pointing back to that, not only to unbeliever, but to a believer. Verse 15 of chapter 2. This is a hard truth here, too. You guys are very familiar with it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's pretty plain and simple, isn't it? If you love the world, the love of God is not in you. If the love of God's not in you, you're not a Christian. Now, one thing I'm not saying is that we need to look to ourselves as the ones to have confidence in. That I can look to my life and say, oh, I got this nailed down. I can read 1 John chapter 2. Isn't that the rich young ruler did that, right? I've done all these things since my youth. It's not looking to myself. What I'm saying is that if you truly believe the gospel, your life will have been changed. And you will keep his commandments. That's the teaching of Scripture. If you have absolutely no obedience in your heart today, absolutely no obedience in your heart today, I'm not asking you to obey, to take these laws and stop doing this and start doing this. Because if you have absolutely no desire for obedience at all in your heart, not doing this or doing this isn't going to help you one bit. 
What I'm saying is look to Christ. Believe the gospel. And God saves His people and grows His people by the gospel. So whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, it's look to Christ. Look to Christ through the gospel. As believers, it's the same thing. I look to Christ and I... I am spurred to obedience by looking to Christ. The more I look to Christ, the more I want to obey Him. Why? Because He's beautiful. Look what He's done for me. Why not I lay down my life for the brethren? And that, that's what John was teach, teaches there in uh, chapter 3 as well, right? That, that, that's the love of God. I'm going to read it. I'm right, right over here if I can find it. Verse 16, 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the teaching. God laid down his life for me, therefore I will lay down my life for the brethren. So what do I do? What's my focus in that? It's Christ. Turn over to Hebrews 12 with me. I'm almost finished up. I don't know how much time I have. But. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we run with patience the race that is set before us? How do we lay aside the sin which so easily besets us? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's how we do it, brethren. It's not, I, I, I got this checklist here, and check, I got that one done, that one's done, that one's done. It's, I have Christ, and I'm going after Him. And when I'm going after Him, you know what? I hate sin. And when I hate sin, it, I have this desire to not do it. And I have this desire to do the things that He's called me to do. Preach the gospel, pray, read, just, just these things. Provide for my family. All, all these things that God's called us to do by looking to Christ in the gospel, I'm spurred along to do them. We're called to fight the good fight, right? And how do we do it? By looking to Him. Everything's about that. The whole old covenant pointed to Christ. The whole new covenant points to Christ. If Christ and Him alone does not move you to obedience, nothing will. 
There's nothing I could present up here or anybody, any of the elders, any of the teachers could present up here apart from Christ that would spur you along to obedience. Nothing. Morality will send a man to hell. It's a waste to say, do this or don't do that. Look to Him. By looking to Him, you'll obey. Christ is infinitely more beautiful and glorious than the terrors of hell, too. I believe that. That I do believe in preaching about hell, as I already have. But simply the fear of hell doesn't spur me to obedience. Why? I don't don't have any fear of hell. I know Christ took my sin. By looking to Him, though, I'm spurred to obedience. Not, oh, I'm so scared of hell, I'm going to stop doing this and start doing this. But, oh, He is so glorious and beautiful that I'm going to. The riches of God's grace are found in Christ. The riches of His grace are found in Christ. I have two things and I'm closing. To those here that don't know Christ or just think that they know Christ and even Even if you're like, I know I know Christ. Believe the gospel. Even as Christians, we're called to believe the gospel, aren't we? Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you too who are at Rome. He already identified who he's writing the book to, the saints. But I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because we need to believe the gospel. Look to Christ as your sin bearer. If you don't know him, look to him as your sin bearer. He took... He took away sin. Look to Him as the only one that can satisfy satisfy God's justice and wrath. Cling to Him as your eternal justification. I stand just before God because of Him. Because His blood was shed. My blood won't be shed. Because He rose from the grave and ascended up to the Father. We'll do the same. To those who do know Christ, preach the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. As I mentioned at the very beginning, we need to know this gospel. We, We need to have it on our lips so quick to preach it that if somebody were about to perish in front of us and they asked us what the gospel is, we don't have to go look up stuff. We don't have to go, I have to go get my notepad out of the car. That's where I have the gospel at. It's right here. It's right, come out, come out of your mouth that quick. Just preach it to yourself. When you're preaching the gospel to yourself um, and you're fighting with your spouse, you think, Well, Christ died for me, and Christ died for her, and he's called me to love her as Christ loved the church. Christ laid down his life for the church. Therefore, I lay down my life for my wife, right? 
and the brethren, as I already mentioned. Christ died for his church and calls us to lay down our life for the church. And it's good and it's good to do that. You won't regret that. Laying down your life for somebody else. How many here can actually say that I, I've sacrificed some of my time in complete um, sacrifice and obedience to try to help somebody out? I actually helped them out, and I wish I wouldn't have done it. It just doesn't happen. To those who know Christ, keep your eyes fixed upon Christ as it said there in Hebrews chapter 12. No matter what you're going through, keep your eyes focused upon Him. You have the ups and the downs, and no matter what, where you're at, keep your eyes focused upon Christ. He is not only mighty to save, but He is mighty to keep His sheep. The good shepherd will keep His sheep. He won't lose any of them. Now I mentioned this and then I'm closing. Sheep don't only look at the shepherd for one hour on Sunday. If a sheep only looked at the shepherd for one hour on Sunday, where would the sheep be? Lost. Yes. <laughs> Eaten. Yeah. A wolf would tear a sheep apart in an instant. But the good thing is we have the good shepherd. The wolf's trying to come, but the good shepherd says no. Sheep stay fixed on the shepherd, and that's what we're called to do as believers. I'm going to just close in a word of prayer, and I have a song that we're going to sing up here. Um, it's, it's called Fountain. Some of you guys may know, know the hymn, but it's kind of a contemporary hymn. But let's close in a word of prayer.